team <laughs> my hellos are too overpowering i gotta give you a few oh thanks <laughs> <laughs> so this is the part i don't get i'm bay and i'm jay and this is episode 37. 37 i was gonna say 36 but it's 37 it on the title. that's how i know <laughs> i know um i know i like literally just looked at it so that i would be able to accurately say what um episode it was and i already forgot nothing but professionalism on well it's just side. like just like my age like after 30 i'm like eh, i'm somewhere in there <laughs> we're not we're not at like um a big oh, one wow. the big four yeah. zero is, exactly. the, is the next big deal for us i guess <laughs> but um i'm going off of like maybe two hours of sleep oh my gosh uh so <laughs> i told um, you the cocaine habit <laughs> so i think uh the giggles may or may not set in at <laughs> some point. <laughs> I love know, giggling things. So they, I mean, I think it is a real thing when people say drunk tired, right? Like yeah. when you're, when you're just, you haven't been drinking at all. Like I'm not on any substances of any kind, but like you just get kind of like silly, you know, yeah. because you're so tired. I think because your brain uses like extra, I don't know, juices. <laughs> <laughs> You're not like you're, you're not all there. <laughs> no, I'm not all there. You're not, you know, prime time. <laughs> no, I'm not. Um, so I'm working with what I got. So um, <laughs> apologies to you and to any listeners if I go off the rails. I just could not sleep. So um, I was just like laying there and just yeah. laying and then it's like, you know, I, I feel like I should have like a regular like everyday clock next to me like tick 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 you know because you know you're if you're getting up early you're like okay i've got five solid hours and then like you keep going and you like go into the bathroom i know and you're like i got four hours you keep looking at the clock (laughs) and you're like i have three more hours well might as well just get up it's time to wake up anyway i know um so you can try again tonight (laughs) i'm hoping that i'll be so tired that like just don't don't drink any soda or anything no i didn't have any caffeine so i don't know what the deal is like i've got my diet ginger ale okay are you drinking coffee no i I mean in the morning at like 9 a.m but well that's what i mean (laughs) okay although yeah i guess it doesn't matter that early grocery store was out of my diet seagrams so i had to go to the diet canada dry which is a little (laughs) too sweet (laughs) really you can tell a difference yes i can tell a difference it's all about the brands i sound like one of our our mutual friends but um i think i think it's my turn okay well i hope you really are gonna do a good job because i phoned it in Oh, fantastic. Way to say that out loud right at the top. So people get super excited 30 minutes in. It's Jay's turn. (laughs) No, I phoned it in. Sucks. (laughs) I know. I was being sarcastic, but. Oh, okay. No, I just, I'm lowering expectations so that people (laughs) actually like it if I lower them enough. I, I wouldn't say like I went above and beyond or anything this week, but, um, but I'm loving my topic. So, okay, good. Well, 
So hopefully, hopefully you love it too. So in order to get us started, we did have a, um, we did have a fan email and then I kind of tied it into my topic slightly. So this, uh, whole entire, um, episode for me on my part will have something to do with food, which is our, Mm -hmm. of course, our favorite topic. Um, so the email starts, hello, it's me again. Salt and pepper. (laughs) (laughs) They don't say who it is. It's me again. Salt and pepper are staple ingredients in every meal. The part I don't get is how did they become ubiquitous? Who was the first to put them together? Why did salt and pepper stand out against all the other spices? Thanks, Corinne. Well, Corinne. That is a very good question. I wouldn't have ever thought of that. I entitled this little piece that I wrote for you, um, what's the deal with salt and pepper? Not salt and pepper, but pepper. So uh, the prevalence- not pepper and salt, you know, the salt. I know, right? Like if we all said pepper and salt. Yeah, people would be like, why are you saying it that way? (laughs) Maybe we should just start saying it that way just to, to be weird. (laughs) Uh, the prevalence of salt makes sense because it's found all over the world. It is a vital ingredient in many different cultures and cuisines, and it also helps keep our bodies functioning at full capacity, as well as it uses, it's used to enhance certain flavors by suppressing the bitterness that naturally occurs in some certain foods. Um, this person that I found, I think was like the author for when you were answering a fan email about like, why do we love eating junk food, even though it's like bad for us? I think this is the same person. No, no, the person I'm about to quote, oh, okay. she wrote, um, why you eat what you eat. Is that the same person? Rachel hers. I don't know. <laughs> I just think of like, isn't that like, isn't it like a chip company? Yeah. Hers potato. <laughs> I wonder if that's a coincidence. <laughs> Is it an heiress who was really inspired by her family's <laughs> legacy? Um, well, I thought when I saw that, I was like, I think this is the same person that Jay quoted. So this person, this author, Why You Eat What You Eat, Rachel Hers, said that humans need salt to regulate fluid balance and it helps nerves and muscles function. Salt was also used to help preserve food um, before refrigeration became like a, a normal part of our daily lives. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Hers Mm -hmm. also says that studies have shown that more salt people eat, the more you crave it. Um, which I think is pretty much true for sugar and carb or not necessarily carbs, but wheat. Right. So it's arguably, it's arguable that salt is the most important ingredient in food on earth is what I found. Like that, there's a show on Netflix called Salt. It's like four ingredients and one of them is salt. Oh, really? Yeah, she's a chef and she goes to different areas of the world and like, and cooks like their cuisine with like a, one of their experienced chefs. It's pretty cool. Salt. I can't remember the rest. Is one of them pepper? (laughs) No. No, salt by salt. I think it was like salt, acid, heat or something like that. Oh, okay. That sounds right. Yeah, something like that. But the main reason why they're always paired together is coming, I found, came from a very unusual source. It's uh, from Louis the Fourteenth. 
Okay, I, I don't know. I was gonna think like Christianity or something. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're responsible for a lot. So, but apparently, like, you know, he is really responsible for pepper and salt pairing, and like why it became two of the most essential seasonings in the Western world was because <laughs> the French king had a taste for life flavoring. He preferred simple sprinkle of salt and pepper. And French cuisine also thought that pepper was the best spice to add because it didn't overpower the true taste of food. So that was kind of it. So after the 1700s, it just really became a deal. Like salt came with pepper. And uh, then they started putting it on tables. Like if you notice, like restaurants always have them on the table. But before the 1700s, they were not located on the table. They were in the kitchen. Um, you know, so we didn't have the ability to add more salt and pepper, um, which essentially can totally taste, change the taste. So that was the answer to that uh, email, Louis XIV. Um, and because salt's good for you, apparently. So the, that's the answer. And I hope, uh, I hope you liked that answer, Corinne. So when I was reading that, I was like, oh, maybe I can make a whole topic about this. But then I was like, this is too short. So then I thought, um, <laughs> what better way to really celebrate the times that we're in and to, to really do a, do a justice with a good topic. And my topic this week is Typhoid Mary because she was a very famous cook. Okay. Do you know who Typhoid Mary is? No. <laughs> really? Oh my gosh. Well, just you wait. I'm very excited about this. I thought you were going to be like, ooh, but um, it's like, still good. Sounds interesting. <laughs> so Typhoid Mary, her real name was um, Mary Mallon, and she was born September 23rd, uh, 1869, and she died November 11th, 1938. She was an Irish-born cook that is believed to have infected and exposed 53 people with typhoid fever after cooking for them and three of those people died. She was also the first person in the US identified as an asymptomatic carrier of the disease. And an asymptomatic carrier, hopefully we all know at this point because coronavirus <laughs> is a thing, um, but just in case, um, is a person or an organism, it doesn't have to be a person apparently, um, that is infected with a pathogen, i.e. typhoid fever or in our case, coronavirus, um, but they don't show signs of the infection and they're not really affected by the pathogen. So they can, of course, expose and infect others while going on with their dandy little life, not knowing or caring in some people's cases like Mary's. Uh, so her mother was infected with typhoid while she was pregnant with her. So people believe that um, Mary was actually born with typhoid, which could be a part of the reason why she was asymptomatic, and that she just didn't know at first, at least, that she had it. At mm. 15, she immigrated to the U.S., and then she started to work as a maid. But she realized she could make twice as much money as a cook for rich people. Yay! The greatest <laughs> position ever for someone who has this disease. Um, so in 1900, she worked in Mamarenic, Mamarenic, I'm guessing that's it, New York. Within two weeks of working there, residents developed typhoid fever. In 1901, she moved to Manhattan, where members of the family for whom she was working also developed fevers and diarrhea, and the laundress eventually died of typhoid fever. 
Uh, Mary then went to work for a lawyer and left that job. Also, after seven more people that lived there became ill. In June of 1904, she was then hired by a different lawyer named Henry Gilsey. Within a week of working there, their laundress that worked for Gilsey was infected with typhoid fever. So apparently laundress, laundresses were very susceptible to typhoid fever. I guess because they're touching everybody's laundry. I'm guessing. And maybe like the moisture and the potential, I guess, just being coming close contact with the heat um, and dirt, bacteria. So um, the poor Gilsey laundress um, was infected with typhoid. And then soon after that, four more of his servants became sick. Now they wrote servants. I felt kind of funny writing the word servants, but um, at the time they thought it was the laundress's fault because she had been the first uh, to get it. And she, they thought that she was the first to cause the, that she was the reason for it, but investigators couldn't prove that. Of course, we now know that it was most likely Mary Mallon. Immediately after that outbreak um, at the Gilsey's, Mary left once again, left another job and moved to Tuxedo Park, where she then was hired by a person named George Kessler. And two weeks later, the laundress in that house was infected. This is three laundresses we're talking here. Um, in but only the laundresses, pretty much. Well, um, it was other servants as well. But for some reason, they seem to hit hit the laundresses quite hard. Um, in August 1906, Mary took another position, yet again, in Oyster Bay on Long Island with the family of a wealthy New York banker named Charles Henry Warren. So reportedly from August 27th to September 3rd, six of the 11 people that were living in there and were a part of that family came down with typhoid fever. The disease at that time was thought to be, quote, unusual in Oyster Bay, saying that, you know, this is where rich people live. They don't t tend to get that disease. Yeah. That's at least what the authorities were saying at the time. <laughs> um, according to three medical doctors who are practiced there, they said that it was unusual. The landlord hired several independent experts to try and find the source of the typhoid um, infection. Um, they took water supplies from pipes and faucets and toilets, and um, everything came back negative for typhoid, so they couldn't figure out where it was coming from. So then Mary moves on to uh, another family in 1906, and this family, um, she was hired by a man named Walter Brown, and they lived Park Avenue quite she she and their maid got sick um, and got typhoid and then their daughter got typhoid and died so um, now it's not just infecting the servants so the investigator that was hired by that previous family started to connect these dots and realized that a female Irish cook who fit the physical description that he had been given was involved in all of these outbreaks and he it took wasn't a long time. I know. This is like six years <laughs> um, for them to really kind of put that together. Yeah, but, and I guess they don't they didn't have the technology we do. Yeah. Now. Um, and a lot of this is like word of mouth, you know, like so he wasn't able um he wasn't able to find her because she kept leaving 
she was very smart. So she, the outbreak would, would happen. Then she would leave and people could easily just say, like, explain that away and be like, oh, these people are sick. No one wants to work here anymore. Cause then she's afraid she'll get sick. But then yeah. she would just quickly leave and then go work for another family. And she wouldn't give any forwarding addresses or anything like that. So it was very coincidental. So it took him a long time to figure out who Mary was and where she was. But the investigator, George Soper, found out about the latest families, um, the, the one in Park Avenue, and then he figured out that she was their cook too. So he finally met Mary and he accused her of spreading the disease. And this is what I read. I don't know if this is true, but he then in turn pissed Mary off and she refused to give him samples of her urine and feces. She threatened him with a carving fork in the kitchen of the residence where she was working. Um, so Soper decided to compile a five-year detailed history of her employment, like for the fat past five years to kind of prove that it was her and he found that seven of the eight families that she had hired the ones that I had just listed for you um there were people in seven of those eight families that contracted typhoid fever so it was clearly her that was tying everything together it would have been the odds of it not being her would have been you know super thin because she worked in all those homes and she was cooking their food so Soper still tried to convince Mary to give him these samples along with another doctor for analysis and she still refused and claimed that she believed the typhoid was just everywhere. It was like in the air and that outbreaks happened because of contaminated food and water and that she, would, she was not responsible for any of this. Yeah. At the time, no one really knew that being asymptomatic was a thing. Right. And they didn't know, um, not even healthcare workers were really even considering that as a possibility. So also because she was showing no signs, she was just like, this can't be because of me. Now, personally, if seven out of the eight families that I had worked for in the past six years got diarrhea and fevers and some of them died, I would start to think that I was either cursed yeah. or I was the world's worst cook. Alive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, seriously, I've been like, oh my God, what what is in my food? Or like I I want to return to religion. Food. And then yeah, like yeah. they're after me. I'm cursed. Or you know, or something. Or something. <laughs> I don't know. Um, or that like someone was either trying to someone was either doing something to screw up my life or that it had yeah. I would have had to have believed that I had something to do with it. Or like but, some sort of poison was being put in. Yeah. But no, she thought it was just, that was just pure coincidence. So what does Soper do after she still refuses to give these uh, symptoms? And she refuses to quit working, by the way. She like is adamant that she is going to continue to cook for these people. Um, so what does Soper do? He publishes his findings about oh. Mary uh, in the Journal of, American, <laughs> Journal of American Medical Association. And he used um, her name and everything? Yes, he used her, her full name. Because I would think nowadays, I think you would need like permission, but this is before. <laughs> and then he also, this is uh, this part I, I totally agree with. He contacted the New York City Health Department. Now, I am as shocked as you are probably that that even existed at this time. <laughs> I mean, this was in the literal first decade of the 20th century. I, I cannot believe that anyone was concerned with health 
in New York City. I can only imagine during the Industrial Revolution that it was probably well, pretty When was the, the first flu epidemic was what, 1917? Or? The Spanish flu? The, no, the, or influenza. Yeah, that was in 1917. So that was after this. Oh, okay. Um, or no, yeah, it lasted for several years. So it did go to, to 1920. Cause you know, they were saying like, oh, we're all cursed, you know, every hundred years on the 20 some odd, we're going to get something. <laughs> um, so shocked that the health department worked, but congratulations, New York city for really being on top of it. You know, health departments are it's essential. <laughs> um, so Mary was arrested as a public health threat. She yeah, was then, she was forced into an ambulance by five policemen and, yeah. <laughs> and a doctor, because of course she resisted. Um, who at, woman. This doctor, Josephine Baker, had to at some point even sit on Mary to restrain her. Um, Mary was transported to Willard Parker Hospital where she was restrained and she was forced to give samples. Gross. Wow. Gross. Because we're talking urine and feces, so I can't imagine oh, what that process was like for poor Mary and for the people involved. So for four days, she wasn't allowed to like do anything alone or even like use the bathroom alone because um, she was like on lockdown essentially. Not surprisingly, there were very large amounts of typhoid bacteria discovered in her stool samples, and they found that the infection um, was really centralized in coming from her gallbladder. Again, modern medical how miracle. I don't know how they can find that out, but good for them. So under questioning, Mary admitted that she almost never washed her hands while she was cooking or at all. But at, we have to understand, though, that this was super unusual to yeah. wash hands at the time because yeah. the idea of like invisible germs um, still hadn't been really fully accepted by people. So, you yeah. know, because we couldn't see the germs. They're not there. Yeah. So how could they be there? <laughs> um <laughs> So as a result of their findings, what do they do to little Mary? Well, on March 19th, 1907, Mary was sentenced to quarantine on North Brother Island. This is a pair of two small islands located in um, New York City's East River. North Brother Island was the site of this hospital, um, but now it's uninhabited and it's designated as a bird sanctuary. But uh, while she was quarantined, she gave stool and urine samples three times a week. Authorities suggested that she should remove her gallbladder in order to get in rid of the infection altogether, but she refused. And thank God they didn't take her gallbladder without her consent, you know, because that would have just been awful. Um, yeah, she, she still did not believe that she carried the disease. Um, so that was a big part of the reason why she refused, but also gallbladder removal surgery was extremely dangerous at this time. And people had, had died from the procedure. Um, so I really don't blame her for not wanting it. Um, Mary was also unwilling to stop working as a cook She's still at this point. She said that she wouldn't give it up because as someone of her status, like she couldn't find another job that would earn as much money um, as being a cook. Um, so she had no home of her own. She had no other real training. 
and she was always on the verge of of sheer poverty so that's why a big part of the reason why she wouldn't give up being a cook i totally understand why she wouldn't want to but at the same time i mean you know the stacks the the cards are stacked against her you know i think your career's over lady <laughs> i wonder if her food was actually tasty well um, it seemed like she kept getting rehired so it must have been. i know i know so um after that that publication um in the american medical association mary attracted extensive media attention so that's why i was a little surprised you hadn't heard of her and she gained the nickname typhoid mary and even today people still talk about like that idea um soper visited um mary in quarantine this is the investigator guy and he told her that he was going to write a book about her and give her a part of the royalties, but she rejected his proposal. And she, until the day she died, she hated the nickname Typhoid Mary. I wouldn't like it either. She even like wrote letters complaining to her lawyer about it. Um, she never accepted the fact that she had it? Nope. Oh. So she unfortunately did suffer from a nervous breakdown due to the quarantine after her arrest and forcible transportation to the hospital. Um, she tried to sue the New York Health Department, but her complaint was denied and the case was closed by the New York Supreme Court. In a letter to her lawyer, she complained that she was treated like a guinea pig and um, she was obliged to give these samples for analysis three times a week. Um, she stated to her lawyer that for six months, she wasn't even allowed to visit an eye doctor. Apparently she had some crazy eye problem at the same time where like her eyelid was like paralyzed. I think it was like stuck in the open position. Oh my so God. at night she had to like bandage it. I, oh. I don't, I don't know if that had anything to do with having typhoid, but ugh. so her medical treatment was super hectic. Cause you know, they were still trying to treat her for typhoid because she did have it. She just wasn't having any symptoms. Um, and she was given something called Eurotropin for three months for in a three month course um, for a year. And this was really risky and it um, had the very likelihood uh, that it could potentially destroy her kidneys, but they gave it to her anyway. Um, then they changed her meds, um, you know, back and forth after that. So she never believed that she was a carrier at all um with the help of a friend this is very interesting she sent several of her own independent samples to a different new york laboratory and they all came back negative for typhoid so it's kind of like weird um yeah but who knows maybe they just it was a friend who didn't know what they were doing or who knows yeah but um it's interesting but on the <laughs> yeah on the island at the hospital a quarter of her um samples um from 1907 to 1909 were negative so some of them did come back negative on their end but not all of those and then were definitely oh, positive so after two years and 11 months of her being in quarantine like we think our life is hard my yeah. goodness yeah. um the New York State Commissioner of Health, Eugene Porter, decided that disease carriers should no longer be kept in isolation and that, I mean, she was kept in isolation. That's why she had, that's why she had a nervous breakdown. Yeah. Um, um, so they said, you know, they shouldn't be kept in isolation. So she, she could be freed if she agreed to stop working as a cook 
and take reasonable steps to avoid transmitting typhoid to anybody else. So on, in 1910, uh, she, she was, quote, prepared to change her occupation um, and would give assurance by affidavit that she would, upon her release, take such hygienic precautions as would protect those with whom she came into contact from infection. And so she was released. Upon her release, she was given the job of a laundress. Oh, God. Um, and she didn't like that. And but I feel um, like that's, that is a cook. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she didn't like that. And she also wounded her arm and it became infected. And then she like couldn't work oh at God. all. So <laughs> after several unsuccessful years of trying to make it work, uh, Mary said, I ain't doing it no more. And she used fake names and um, took jobs as a cook, again, against the explicit instructions of health authorities. So, um, uh, so for the next five years, she, she decided to then move to the mass public. So cooking for large amounts of people, like restaurants and hotels. Oh, great. And even spa centers, as I, this is what this said. Um, so um, almost wherever she worked, there were outbreaks of typhoid. However, she changed jobs so frequently. She was using those fake names. Um, so that investigator, Soper, was unable to find her this time for a very long time. Um, so in 1915, she then decided to work for a hospital. Oh my God. They're already in the hospital. You know, so if they do get it, they have, you know, access to easy care. <laughs> because they're not, you know, immune, you know, they don't have higher risk of being. Um, as soon after she got hired, 25 more people were infected and then two died. Um, you know, they were in the hospital, so you can only imagine they were probably already sick. And she, you said she used a different name? Yep. Okay. So they Can called they Soper. Um, and he um, started an investigation, and then he quickly identified her from the servants. Um, and he, it's also written that he identified her from her handwriting. I'm like, damn, so far, you were, like, really invested in this woman's life. Um, Maybe there was, like, a love affair. <laughs> um, that was quite a risky love affair. Um, so Mary tried to run, but the police caught her. And they brought her back to the hospital um, on the island in 1915. So she was quarantined a second time. She stayed there for more than 23 years. Um, in self-isolation? No, she wasn't, she wasn't totally isolated, but she was stuck in the hospital pretty much the whole time. They even gave her a private cottage to live in. Um, so she could like essentially live in her own little house on the grounds. Um, after three years of her being there, they did allow her to make day trips to the mainland of New York, which is like, what's the point? Just let her go at that point, you know? In 1920, yeah, New York. <laughs> in 1925, they opened up a new lab on the second floor of the hospital, and they hired her as a technician. <laughs> <laughs> that good. I got to hand it to her. How accurate were the recordings that she took. You know, that's what I want to know. Her job was to wash things, like wash bottles, do recordings, and prepare glasses for pathologists. Like, 
this is the last person I would want to be doing this, but at least she got a job. I hopefully she got paid for she's, it too. She's very motivated to work, you know. She spent the le- the rest of her life in quarantine on that island and then six years before her death she had a stroke but Mm. never fully recovered and half of her body remained paralyzed she eventually then died at 69 from pneumonia Mm. she was cremated and this is probably the saddest part of all only Mm. nine people attended her funeral Mm. so some sources claim that post-mortem evidence found um uh that there that there was live typhoid bacteria in in mary's gallbladder um you know during you know post-mortem but then soper wrote that there was no autopsy so that's like kind of like you know uh going back and forth you don't know which one's actually right Um, And that it was potentially just like a conspiracy to calm public opinion after her death. Um, So we know for a fact, well, you know, most likely at least three deaths were attributed to her um, infecting them with typhoid. Um, But because she often changed her name and her residence and she refused to cooperate, there's really no way to know the real number. And some have estimated that she could have potentially killed as many as 50 people. Um, in New York at around that time. Um, There were actually other asymptomatic uh, carriers at that time, and they ended up being the cause of over a hundred different cases of typhoid fever. But she's like the one that goes down in the history books because of that, probably because of the book, the journal, and of course the very cute and trendy nickname, Typhoid Mary. Yeah, Um, like being a woman and having a job in that time. Yeah. So, in the nineteen in the in the nineteen tens, medicine could not offer a hundred percent effective solution for typhoid because there there were no antibiotics to really fight the infection at that time. So this whole thing raises a huge ethical and legal argument. Um, uh, you know, she was the first asymptomatic character. I keep saying character. Carrier. I don't know why character keeps coming out of my mouth. Um, but she was forcibly isolated for like most of, or at least like half of her life. It's crazy how like relevant that that is now. I know. And you know, these concerns are still discussed, you know, like her personal rights and liberties, you know, are they, how do you balance that for the sake of public health? And I thought this was the perfect topic because of course now we have people, I have like seen so many videos of people in public who get confronted for not wearing a mask. And then their (laughs) response is to then go up to that person and fucking cough on them, like on purpose. And like, (laughs) I've seen videos of people spitting on each other, like (sighs) gross. Like if you were in a place where... I know spitting is for sure. Like if you're in a place where it's total, where it's legal to not wear a mask, then, you know, they have the legal right to not wear one. And like, but at the same time, like, let's stop spitting on each other. You know, let's yeah. have some human decency. When, when, like when you're with little children, what do you say? You say, cover your mouth, say, yeah. excuse me. 
You know what I mean? Like, you don't, you don't say, oh, turn around and then go cough in that person's face. Like, go up to their face and cough in their face so they can feel the saliva. <laughs> people were being confronted for wearing masks, too, like getting yelled at or something. I don't know. That's ridiculous. If you know, are in a, if you happen to be in one of the few places that are like, hey, it's cool if you don't wear a mask, then that's just up to those individuals. Like if you feel safe being around people without masks, then that is your personal choice. And if those people who don't wear masks in those areas, um, unfortunately it's their personal choice as well. Yeah. You just gotta like, you know, be smart and stay away from people if you have to. I know, but yet you have to make like what the best decision for you, but hopefully we can stop coughing and spitting on each other. Yeah. There's just been like a lot of, it just seems like there's tension everywhere. I think like if you go anywhere, like, you know, when I went to, I went to get like a sub from this place and just like take up, but just like people are so impatient, you know, cause you have to wait a long time at certain mm-hmm. places and, you know, people are just not prepared for this. So it's like they're understaffed or, you know, people gotten laid off and like customers are just like, like, this is taking so long. I'm like, Jesus Christ, people. It's a fucking sandwich. Calm down. But a lot of it's like, they can't like legally have more than a, than a certain number of people in their kitchen. Right. You know, it's for their own safety. Like they're people too. They're wearing a mask. Oh, I can't imagine. I know. It's just like, it makes me wonder when I see things like that, it's like, where did the common decency go? <laughs> yeah, know? like, we should all be uniting and not, like, being yeah. angry at each other. Yeah. So. I just always think of, like, what would you tell your, your like, if you had a little kid with you yeah, and they did, like, a rude thing, what would you tell them was, like, the right thing Yeah, like, do? what example are you setting yeah. for, for young, you know, younger generations? Yeah. So mine was super long. (laughs) Mine's short, so that's fine. (laughs) Mine's like really short, actually, because it was like one of those things I thought it was going to be something way bigger. Yeah, yeah, that's happened Um, to me. Yeah, but my topic actually is thanks to my fiance who made me aware of this. Um, Did you know that you can take flights to nowhere now? um, How did he, did he tell me he wanted to take a flight to nowhere? Oh, no, no. no. Okay. (laughs) No, but uh, I don't, I don't know. He just, I guess, randomly uh, probably saw it on Reddit or something. But so there is a, um, on July 2nd of this year, so last week, a Taiwanese airport took um, 60 randomly selected individuals out of a pool of 7,000 on a flight to nowhere. Um, basically, these participants got to go through the entire flight booking and airport process, including a fake itinerary. They got to go through customs and security. Lucky them. Oh, and joy. they boarded the aircraft. And then from the video, it looks like it just like, like it's kind of went around in a circle or just kind of like, just, it didn't like go in the air, but it just, moved around a little bit okay um so this was actually like more of a publicity stunt for them okay. to show for the airport to show their new renovations and their you know what coronavirus prevention methods were being used but um, apparently there's going to be more scheduled and i mean the fact that seven thousand people signed up 
like just to get the experience of flying without going anywhere i'm like that's like i like going places i don't like the flying aspect but did I, they have to pay i don't think so because that yeah that's be a good question worse. would it would it change i bet people would pay though you think so i mean seven i'm sure some of them are rich i just hope not because that's ridiculous who would pay for that experience? I know. I mean, I, I, I mean, I know a lot of people don't like flying. I don't mind the flying part. That's actually kind of, I'll say that's kind of fun, I guess. As Ooh. long as it's like, not like a long flight. That's too much. But I don't know, like, but it's more because if I'm excited about where I'm going, you know, if I was flying and <laughs> I mean, they're not even flying in this, but I don't know. That's, that's. That's a tough so wait, one. they didn't go up in the air at all? No. <laughs> they didn't even circle? Like in Die Hard 2? They didn't circle? Yeah, they, like, they just kind of like went from like one um, like area of the airport to another. Oh. Almost like one of those um, airport taxi things. Okay. <laughs> yeah. A little shuttle from your parking lot? Yeah, kind of. Parking so space. Yeah. Um, Terminal. Yeah. Now they did. They get. They did get fed at a restaurant, so maybe that helps. <laughs> okay, I can see now. Food will in, will entice anybody to do anything. But I don't know if free food would entice me enough to have to go through customs. That is not a fun experience. They didn't even get to get in the front front of the line. I don't think there was much of a line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just like the only I've been on a plane like when I was an infant so that doesn't count because I have no memory of it and then once when I was like in eighth grade and then once with you on like a 45 minute plane ride yeah so I have no real knowledge but I do remember when we went on that one flight and there was like a huge huge line yeah well yeah I mean normally there there would be you know but I think with coronavirus it's hasn't really I mean I'm assuming I, I haven't been but do you think the lines are shorter now because of coronavirus oh yeah yeah okay because you know they're encouraging people not to fly and I think and it said in the article uh, oh by the way it's from New York Post that um uh ta Taiwan is, was actually really good about keeping the virus contained and they only had like a few deaths and you know so they're not really allowing any flights so I guess this was kind of their way of being like, hey, don't forget about us. <laughs> so what went was the date on this flight? July 2nd. So very recently. Oh, it was super recent. Way to yeah. bring up a current event. Yeah. <laughs> very current. Because <laughs> like, I, I like doing current event topics, but like in the past three months, like what you going to talk about? You know? <laughs> I know. And I was really, I was like, oh, I wonder if there's other things like this that people are offering. So, but I had trouble finding or even searching for it. Like, I looked up like fake experiences, but nothing really came up. But I wouldn't be surprised if other, I don't even know how you, well, kind of like, um, you know, with like camps and stuff, like not fake, but doing different versions of things, you know? Yeah like classes online but we're all doing different versions yes <laughs> different versions of ourselves. <laughs> um yeah but so um so of course i had to look into the psychology of this i there really wasn't much about 
this specifically, but one thing that actually popped up into my mind randomly was in my th theater class in high school, uh, thank you, Miss Ryer. Um, <laughs> I remember she taught us about the the willing suspension of disbelief. Do you remember learning about that? I've heard of it, but I don't know like what the definition yeah. is. So it's basically just like a fancy way of saying like, and it's more for like movies and books and like plays. So I don't know. I, I, I think this would still apply, but like basically when you're like watching something that you know is just fake, made up, like you basically just turn off that part of you and just um, kind of go with it and believe it to an extent to enjoy it you know okay it's believable like, enough yeah because if you're if you're watching like a show and you're like that's an actor that's an actor that like you're obviously not going to enjoy it like you're not it, invested yeah yeah and you just kind of like let yourself like be immersed in it I guess okay um, yeah just like you know what I'm gonna go with this right now <laughs> So I was thinking, okay, maybe there's some level of that with these fake flights. Like, I don't that know. Makes maybe, sense. You know, maybe there is some nostalgia or something. Like, like you know, if I were to go to the airport, I'll remember. Oh, the last time I was in an airport was like when I got engaged, and I was in. Uh, I don't know, maybe the smell or something. Um, not, <laughs> I'm not saying. Oh joy, the smell of the airplane. Brings it all back. Yeah. Or maybe just like people can kind of convince themselves that they are going on a flight and just enjoy, enjoy the moment. But um, so, yeah, so I, I kind of looked up just like the background of the suspension of disbelief. Um, it was actually coined by a philosopher named Samuel Coleridge. Um, who introduced the term in 1817 um, by suggesting that supernatural elements could be introduced into writing if there was a semblance of truth and human interest. So he was more referring to like ghosts and like, you mm. know, vampires okay. and stuff like that and just saying like, oh, people will believe it if there's like, you know, something they can relate to. Um, and then it kind of evolved into what we temporarily, um, you know, define it as um, well, okay, so the technical definition is intentional avoidance of critical thinking or logic in, ex <laughs> in examining something surreal, such as a work of speculative fiction, in order to believe it for the sake of enjoyment. Like 90 Day Fiance. Oh, yeah, I know. I actually thought that. I was like, <laughs> funny, because I'll, I'll be watching that, and I'll be like, oh, this was totally staged by the producer. This is yeah. totally and then a minute later, I'll be like, she is such a bitch, you know? <laughs> but even, like, for those people, if it, if it is true, and they're not just, like, pulling a ruse, you know, like, yeah. for the people to believe that they're actually legitimately interested in and some of the couples. Yes. Like, it's so clear that this person does not actually <laughs> like you. <laughs> well, I think that's what makes it so popular, because it's like you're watching a train wreck, and... I think, honestly, it makes people feel a little bit better about themselves because they're like, oh, I can see that. <laughs> so sad, but probably well, Maybe in some cases really bad about yourself. I don't know. I don't For know. me, it's just a, like, oh my God, like this, like this can't be happening. I, I love analyzing like everybody on the show and I don't know. It's just, yeah, it's just a train wreck basically. But, <laughs> but yeah, there's definitely a lot of suspension of disbelief um in that <laughs> uh 
And then there's another literary critic, Norman Holland, who says that it's actually more automatic than this. So he's a literary critic, so I'm not sure why he's like commenting on the psychology of it, but he says when we hear or watch any movie, our brains go wholly into perceiving mode. And this I do kind of believe, like turning off the symptoms, symptoms, <laughs> turning off the systems for acting or planning to act, and with um, with them go our sy systems for assessing reality. So basically, turning off all of like our um, like our kind of like the judgment part of our brain um, and the assessment part of our brain. Um, Let's see, and then he says, um, we have what's called poetic faith. So humans, um, we have trouble recognizing lies. And so we believe first, and then we have to make more of a conscious effort to disbelieve. Um, okay. So some philosophers reject uh, the suspension of disbelief. Because they say, for example, if we saw a horror movie and someone gets murdered, well, we would call 911 because we, if we're totally immersed and believe it to be true. Um, but then other authors, like I think J.J. Tolkien, um, he says we have like this secondary fictional world that we go into when we're reading something as long as like everything is consistent and like, um, and then it talked about, uh, you know, universal um no fictional universes where like um i'm trying to think of what uh like gotham city and things like that where it's mm -hmm. like timelines add up and then the characters you know you'll see one character in, in this movie and another character in another but it's like you know other things about the universe stay the same um so there's also, they brought up cognitive dissonance, which is basically when you have like two conflicting thoughts um, that go against each other. Um, yeah, you were the one that taught me what that meant. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, in this case, like, oh, wow, I'm really invested in this movie. And the other part is like, but it's all actors and it's not true. Or like, I'm crying at this person who died on TV, oh but it's not God. true. God. <laughs> I know. Every freaking thing I watch, I'm like, oh my god! Well, you know how I am with the animals. I mean, look I'm at like, me. I, I ran out of water for elephants and had <laughs> like a breakdown in the bathroom. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far, but you were pretty like you were pretty pissed at the movie. Like, <laughs> Why like, they have to do that? <laughs> but like, that's like my whole life. I'm just like, I get so emotional about it. Like. Of all things, like, that's why I stopped watching, like, Grey's Anatomy, like, season two. I was like, I can't fucking do this. Too many people are <laughs> fucking dying in this bullshit. I, like, literally couldn't watch it anymore. And then, like, my husband really liked that this kind of grittier police drama called Southland, and I think it was on FX, and it, it, it oh, was, um, like, um, C. Thomas Howell's on it and stuff, and um, that one of the guys from uh, The Walking Dead was on it, and it did pretty well, but you know, it, it just was so many bad things happen to people. And like every week I'd be like, <laughs> and my husband, like, I don't think you can watch this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, with, with Grace Anatomy, it's like, there's so many characters on uh, that. Show, so it's like a lot of them get killed off and then and they I'm, bring 
ones. I'm always telling myself, I'm like, calm the fuck down. These people don't exist. (laughs) It's not real. This is not a biopic. You know, (laughs) put the tissues down. I know, it's (laughs) weird. Yeah, like, um, what was I going to say? I totally blanked. But, well, I, I kind of think it's kind of like what the, that, uh, the literary critic guy said that, um, like, I think we kind of turn off, like, I guess the, what they call the prefrontal cortex, which is like, (laughs) yeah, the highest level functioning of our brain when we watch a movie and like, and that's why we enjoy it because like, you know, like they said, it's like mind numbing or. Yeah, it's an escape. yeah, or yeah, like a guilty pleasure because yeah. you, know, you don't have to really think, uh-huh. um, and you just kind of watch and like just let like the rest of your brain, like almost like maybe like the childlike part. Like I feel like it kind of ties into your your sense of wonder. Well, your topic that you did about the um, imaginary friends and things yeah. like that, like the playful, just like you know, I'm or the dolls. Like I'm gonna put a. Um, you know, attach an emotion to this that isn't really. Well, yeah, that one was, they found that like people are more, more likely to play with things that look like themselves. So yeah, yeah, it's like the relatable factor. Yeah, definitely. I think we're more likely to watch things that we can, can relate to, or maybe in in some ways that we can't relate to at all because it's like new. Like I know when I, when I started working in mental health, like I couldn't watch intervention anymore. (laughs) Yeah. What was, I see here is a bunch of people that just love that. I love the heck out of I can't <laughs> because we can laugh at the intervention. I'm Candy Finnegan. I'm here. <laughs> I love that. I, I can't remember what the dude with the mustache's name is, but he's oh, the dorky one that looked he was the love the heck out of you guy. Oh, okay. He was the oh, love there was him and then there was like a younger guy that like that was short and like nerdy. I don't remember him. I just remember Candy Finnegan and, and the yeah, love the heck out of you guy with the mustache. Like, like Mark or something. Mark sounds good. That sounds legit. <laughs> Read your letter. Yeah. Your addiction has affected me in the following ways. <laughs> I should oh, not God. be laughing at this, but but you told me that like it's the interventions have been shown to to not work. Yeah, right? I, I remember. Yeah, I remember being like so like disappointed when I learned that in one yeah. of my classes that like you it's know like statistically it doesn't work yeah because the person, they're not invested person has to want to change they have yeah. to be ready that makes sense that makes sense yeah, I mean for some people I don't know if that ever happens <laughs> yeah you have to be personally invested in your own future yeah and it's like it's just hard for them. To I think do the that. idea of an intervention is is good in that yeah. it forces the family to set boundaries with the yes. person. Um, so that's definitely one thing. But my therapist always tells like me about healthy boundaries. Them to hit rock bottom, you know. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah, but obviously, an intervention is not everybody's bottom. Right. Um. Exactly. <laughs> who knows? I mean, who knows if an intervention, like if it's less likely to work than just the person going on their own I don't know yeah yeah because I agree it's good to for the I think for the families to have like their peace like this yeah and just to say like look I'm not gonna put up with this anymore yeah exactly yeah so that was hurt me in the following ways (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. Dee, 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 dee. And like, or like hoarders. Yes. <laughs> I think it's Kathy Griffin that has that joke where you're like, oh, yeah, and it's just like a cat. Yeah, like five dead cats and skeletons. <laughs> Gross. Oh, so um, speaking of shows, have you watched Unsolved Mysteries yet? Oh my God. How have we not discussed this yet? Oh my God. I, I cannot <laughs> freaking believe that they brought it back and it's on Netflix. And have you, they kept the opening song the same? It's so, so creepy. I couldn't remember, but I thought I had heard that Jordan Peele was going to be involved, like the host oh. or something. It I don't know. It sound he's, like there is a host. Yeah, he's not in it. It's just... But they kinda, flash, like, the face of the original guy. Do you remember what his name is? I remember what he looked like, but I Come can't on, remember. I'm, I feel like you would know, but I guess. <laughs> you let, you, you're killing me, Smalls. I know, um, I know. But, like, they kept the song the same, but they updated all the visuals. Thank goodness, because they were rough. You know, since the <laughs> 90s. And then they flash, like, kind of like a... Um, like a like a little image of the original guy in the back says so like playing tribute to him which i love i didn't even notice that it is like a split second right at the very end of the of the intro okay. um and the song the is the same only know. thing that i have negative to say about it thus far because i have not finished an episode but i watched like the the first half of a couple is I, I do not find the missing persons episodes to be exciting. That's my least favorite type of. Oh really? Mystery. I like the missing person. And then I was like going through it. It was like every single one was like missing person, missing person, missing person, because it's just not that exciting to me. If it's like a whole family that's gone missing, that's that's a little more interesting. Oh, but if it's yeah. like one person, you know, like there's so many different things that could explain why that one person left. Um, but then I started watching the alien episode, um, oh, and that one was pretty that. interesting because it was like multiple people who saw it, um, but I didn't finish it. So I'm very excited about it. The only downside is that I cannot turn it into a topic because many people are watching it, so it won't be interesting. <laughs> It'll literally <laughs> just be me retelling the exact episode. I don't know. I feel like they do it on My Favorite Murder all the time, and they still make it work. Oh, when she did the Jodi Arias, or no, not Jodi Arias. Um, what's the girl that killed her boyfriend and then took a picture of it? Yeah, that's Jodi Arias. Yeah. I thought Jodi Arias was the one that was accused of killing her kid. No, that's Casey Anthony. Oh, okay. Yes. And she's like the lifetime movie, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Jody Arias. That was a really funny episode. Uh, I think there was like a live show that they did and they kept talking about, about the, the live show. Yeah. She did typhoid Mary at one point, I think. I was going to say, remember. as you were telling it, it started to sound familiar. So I don't know, maybe I did hear it. <laughs> well, that was a big reason why I didn't do it for a long time. Cause I don't like doing things that other podcasts have done unless I feel like I can do it differently yeah. but um I just think that it's just so poignant to talk about that subject now because of coronavirus I feel like yeah. she did that topic like well over a year ago. and I also I won't do it on like when they're recent like because then you're just like a big old copycat yeah exactly. <laughs> you gotta give something new to the juice you know <laughs> you can't just keep redoing the same old thing yeah but I just think like the ethical dilemma of like, what do you do? Like when you were telling me you were working in the hospitals and you were saying how, like you, like they can't force them to take meds or take showers or brush their teeth yeah. or brush their hair. 
unless they can find right and like unless they can prove that it's like a danger to them right um for forced medication you basically have to be an immediate danger to yourself or others meaning like you're actively suicidal or you're aggressive or yeah you can't like take care of yourself okay. like like you're not eating you're not um or like you're not taking like important um like blood pressure medication for example like okay like you are or doing, like insulin for a diabetic yeah like, like you're that. neglecting like self-care that will lead eventually to you, to you dying. dying yeah yeah so like if you're just hearing voices or like you know mumbling to yourself that's they're like you do you yeah that's like okay <laughs> like it's not illegal to to hear yeah. a voice yeah 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 so yeah yeah so it, it is interesting like how if that like let's say that happened nowadays like with coronavirus like there was a cook like no like spreading coronavirus around and yeah. like not giving a shit about it or yeah, like well, being willingly she definitely had a willing disbelief <laughs> that was that was for sure that all the way. <laughs> and it's interesting how like you can see a lot of people who are like that how my parents have a willing disbelief my parents are going to the gym they're hanging out with friends i mean they're yeah. not going out to they they didn't really go out anyway you know yeah, they spend they, a lot of, home, lot of time at home a lot of time at home but the only real thing that they do is like grocery store uh book club and the gym it's like a big thing yeah. for my parents. Yeah, my mom was joking that if my grandparents were still alive, there's no way they would have stayed home. Like, yeah. they out all over the place. Yeah. And I think a lot of that is generational, too, because you're like, I lived through it all so far. Yeah, and it's like, they don't want people <laughs> to like what to do. Willing disbelief. It's <laughs> um, <is> also... <laughs> denial, denial. But I, I like keep trying to like bribe her to stay home and like... I'm like take care of yourself you're like you worry too much <laughs> reacting i'm like i freaking hope i'm overreacting if that's the worst thing that in this situation then we're set yeah. you know <laughs> but I'm, i i think i even told her i was like if you get coronavirus you're gonna feel really bad about what you said to me <laughs> i just you would really, never hear the end of it I just really, I'm like, just take care of yourself and those around you. That's all you can do. Yeah. You know? Smart. Yeah. That, I feel like that would be a fantastic paper. The comparison of typhoid Mary and if something like that were to happen today. I mean, that is grad school written all over it right now. Walter <laughs> um, prize winning. <laughs> <laughs> but it's one of those things that like, it's just because the times were so different. Like there's, you can't say like, oh, this is definitively what should have happened. You feel yeah. bad for Mary, but you also feel bad for the people who got sick. Yeah. Um, and those who died. They would have closed down any restaurant that she had been to. And so she wouldn't really be able to get work. Yeah. And that's another thing. Product of her circumstance. Like she yeah. wasn't trained, you know, she immigrated to this country like, what other options did Mary have, really? Yeah, Not a lot. That's the dilemma people are facing now. Like, I can't. Yeah, exactly. So you take yeah. what you can get. You yeah. Potentially put yourself and others at risk if you have to, in order to like literally feed yourself. So, I'm telling you, it's rife with debate. <laughs> <laughs> the pre 
freedom to breathe. <laughs> but um, but that's all I had. So uh, check us out at the part I don't get at gmail.com. Write us an email. I rather than check us out. You know, Corinne did it. You can do it too. Uh, yeah. Rate us. Uh, we haven't talked about rating in a while. Rate and oh, we review. We talked about it last time. We did? Yeah, okay. because my, my topic was reviews. Oh, right? that's right. Duh. Um, yeah, the trolls. We talked about the trolls. Um, yeah, rate us and review us. Um, and then, of course, I'll post some pictures on Instagram at this is the part I don't get, and Jay will post something um, on Facebook. And our Facebook is this is the part I don't get. So we will see y'all in another two weeks. Stay, stay safe. safe. Take care of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> stay safe. <laughs> <Okay>, bye. <laughs>